how far would you go to have the perfect birthday party? And what would you do if you planned the perfect celebration and no one showed up? That's the trauma in this week's episode of the Scary Spirits podcast. Happy birthday to me. I mean, striving to be popular is one thing. Throwing a party to die for is a whole other situation. I'm sure all our listeners run with the cool crowd. So no worries there. Party plan away. Oh, and happy birthday to me. Cheers. Welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast. Please be advised that the presenters may use adult language and or discuss adult situations. This podcast is not intended for younger listeners or those that may be easily offended. So, if you're ready, let's go. Hi, I'm Greg. Hey, I'm Karen. And welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast, the podcast that combines the two very different yet highly compatible worlds of scary films and alcoholic spirits. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. How are you, Karen? I am so amazing. How are you, Greg? Are you? Are you amazing, Karen? Well, yeah, I am amazing, don't you think? You've leveled up, haven't you? you? (laughs) I have. We'll explain that in a minute, won't we? Yeah, well, congratulations on on that. Thank you. You'll never catch me. (laughs) No, I won't. I may pass you. You might. (laughs) All right, Karen, I believe this week's film was your choice, was it? Was it not? It absolutely was. And what film have you chosen for us? Wow, this is this is kind of an embarrassing one, but I will say it is 1981's Happy Birthday to Me. 1981, Karen. Were those good years for you, Karen? 1981? <laughs> I think we've done a lot of films from 1981, haven't we? Maybe. Around that time, 80, 81. The trajectory was going up at that point. I'll just say that. Yep. Nowhere to go but up, Karen. <laughs> Any reason you chose this film, Karen? Well, as you just said, Greg, I've leveled up this week. Explain that to all the boys and girls out there listening. (laughs) Well, once you get a certain age, saying your age isn't really that fun anymore. I mean, it's funny. And I'll tell you, Beth Marler, I'm sure you're listening, but (laughs) she is two weeks younger than me. And we lived in the same neighborhood. And I used to lord that over her, that I was older than her. And at some point, that switched. <laughs> and now she gets to lord it over me. That Just she's like I too... do, Karen? Yes, absolutely. But I'm much younger than that than you. True. A lot more than two weeks. <laughs> yes. So anyway, I've made it. I've leveled up another year. So everyone, help me in wishing Dr. Karen. A happy birthday. And that's the only reason I chose this film. Happy birthday to me. It is my birthday week. Okay. Good enough. Hey, it's your birthday. 
You can do what you want. I can do what I want whenever. I mean, though it's not today, but we, yeah. Well, whatever. Close enough. <laughs> I should celebrate all week at this point. We should do that. If you like, I guess. If I could, I would. <laughs> I mean, you're a grown-ass woman, Karen. You can do whatever the hell you want. Well, I just meant if I had the stamina to do it. Nobody's the boss of me, but... Do we have a cocktail, Karen, for this film and this occasion? We do. Go on. Of course, it's the birthday cake martini. <laughs> birthday cake martini. How would we make that, Karen? Well, there are many, many, many ways to make the birthday cake martini, all just slightly different. But the one we're using, we're going to need two ounces of whipped vodka, one and a half ounces of amaretto, one ounce of white chocolate liqueur, and two ounces of half and half, honey and sprinkles for garnish. You're going to begin with two shallow dishes. Add a teaspoon of honey to one and to the other add sprinkles. And I have to stop right now and tell you that I had an M&M incident with the sprinkles. Have I ever told you about the M&M incident? No, Karen, you have not. When we were young, we would go visit my Nana, who is my mother's mother. She had a house that was kind of I don't know, what what do you call it? Where one room, then the next room, then the next room, like all in a row. Mm -hmm. And the adults would be at the far end of the house. And that was kitchen, dining room, living room. And the bedrooms were off to the side, but basically the house was a single line. So the adults were in the back. And my sister is known for being able to find candy anytime, anyplace. So she located, she was probably six, I don't know pretty young, maybe eight, I don't know, somewhere in there. She located the huge bag of peanut M&Ms, huge bag hidden on top of the refrigerator. So she gets it because she's in, what's the word, ingenious and figured out how to get up there, but she couldn't open it. And so I walk in, she's got this huge bag bigger than her head. I'll open it. So I'm pulling and I'm pulling <laughs> And I'm pulling and I couldn't open. So I give it one good pull. The bag splits. The M&Ms flew in the air. I mean, everywhere. Into the soup that was on the <laughs> stove, onto the top of the refrigerator, all over the floor. Because, you know, when those bags rip, there's nothing left. I mean, so the five of us are shoving M&Ms in our mouths yeah. as fast as we can because we don't want to get in trouble. And then later, there was a blue M&M in the soup that turned it blue. But anyway, so anything that <laughs> happens like this, we call it in our family, the M&M incident. So my sprinkles went everywhere, all over the counter. I'm sure lots of our, or almost all of our listeners can relate, Karen. I think we've all had that in some yeah, form or another. True. But we were trying to be discreet, and we were not. <laughs> so didn't, you, your, didn't your Nana have any knives in her kitchen? <laughs> I didn't think of a knife. I wanted to prove I could open it. Just cut that shit right open. Yeah, Whatever. well, I do that now. But then I was showing off, as I do. You're going to rim the edge of the martini glass with honey and then dip it in the sprinkles. So you get a nice rim of sprinkles around your martini glass. In a cocktail shaker filled with ice, combine the vodka, amaretto, white chocolate liqueur, and half and half. Shake vigorously. Did you shake vigorously? I always do, Karen. <laughs> of course. Strain into your prepared martini glass. And kabam, birthday cake martini. 
It is pretty good. I I do enjoy it. I do taste the amaretto. Yeah. I'm not mad about that. I would have put less in there. I knew you'd like it though. Oh, so you did that for me, Karen. <laughs> I'm giving like that. <laughs> Lots of alcohol in it. Absolutely. About four ounces of alcohol in that bad boy. When you level up, you need that. <laughs> so you don't remember that you leveled up. All right, Karen. And also the, the half and half, you know, helps you sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Karen, you want to give our friends and listeners time to make their own birthday cake martini? Absolutely. Hold on. And we're back. Yes, we are. I'd just like to say I like the sprinkles. I think it adds to the drink. I like the look of it, but it makes it hard to drink. I'm using a straw. I don't have any problems. <laughs> no, you're smarter than me. I may lick the rim later, though. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am not even going close to that. I think it adds to the drink to have the sprinkles because it's like you're eating cake. It's delicious, I think. True. It's a little more amaretto-y for me than, you know, I would like, but it's delicious. It is pretty good. And I will say I only had uh, vanilla vodka. I couldn't find the whipped stuff. So I did substitute that. Okay. Karen, might you have a brief synopsis of this film? I do. It's very brief, but I love it. (laughs) Go on, Karen. Tell me a story. Preppy. Virginia, could be the one skewering classmates who skipped her birthday party years before. Skewering. Thank you, Karen, for that very brief synopsis. Do you want to explain to the people what preppies are? No, Karen, you can. I'm not as familiar. I didn't really look (laughs) it up, but back in the 80s, people were categorized, I'd say. I'm not sure we had- Were they, Karen? They probably had preppies at our school. I know there were. Yes, we absolutely did, Karen. (laughs) Hoods, jocks, nerds, preppies. Hoods smoked in the back of the school, Greg. (laughs) Jocks played sports. Nerds. I was in the band. I can make. I was in the drum line, though, not the band. Right. I misspoke. (laughs) Nerds like me and preppies who. You were a jock, Karen. You ran track. And cross country, yes, but I still was a nerd. (laughs) And I dated people in the band. So I I got everyone but the preppies. So in the drum line, excuse me. You might have dated a preppy or two in the drum line. (laughs) They kind of had like... um, I've never owned an Izod Lacoste shirt, Karen. I'm I'm sure some of the guys you dated in high school did. Probably. (laughs) They had fashion was kind of, they followed fashion. Let's just say that. Because whatever was popular at the time, they wore it. And it and 81 was polo shirts with flipped up collars, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the girls, the I dock, noticed in- Dock shoes, those dock shoes. 
I do did notice the jeans were probably Gloria Vanderbilt in Eastlands. this movie. That's what they were, Eastlands. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I just shoes. remember the jeans. You don't remember the shoes? No, I think my sister was a more into that kind of stuff. I didn't. I couldn't pull that stuff off. When I went to college, I, I, I turned. Transformed. I yeah, I turned. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to really let that slip out now? Well, doesn't matter now. I have a question. Speaking of that, preppies, are yuppies still a thing? I don't think so. I think it's more Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, and boomers. I don't think they categorize yuppies so much yeah, anymore. Yeah, because I was watching a TV program last night. Actually, it was called the world's or the, yeah i think it's the most scariest places whatever world's most scary places i don't know what it was and they used the word yuppies and i immediately thought oh this is probably an older episode because <laughs> you don't hear that term anymore no i don't think they do i think it's more like i said the gen x go gen x <laughs> boomers gen z gen y and millennials I don't I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that's how things are categorized now. We know yuppies, young urban professional, right? They're still young urban professionals, but are they called yuppies? No, I think they're called millennials. Okay. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Are you ready to get into the film, Karen? It's like I said, riveting. We've lost all our <laughs> listeners at this point. <laughs> or we're about to with this movie, but hang in there. We'll see. Happy birthday to me. From 1981. Did you watch this on Amazon, Karen? I did. I paid for this. So did I. I have 48 hours to watch it again if I like. <laughs> it's true. So it's rated R. There were no warnings. There were even no warnings in the description that sometimes I look at. Movie starts. We have credits. And here I made a note that it is by the same producers and production company as My Bloody Valentine. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah, filmed right after one another. This one was second? This one was first, but it oh, came okay. out second. Apparently, oh. they rushed to get my bloody Valentine out for Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, I think we talked about that, didn't we? And it looks like we're on a college campus or something, because I said there's a college dorm, question mark. Yeah, at first, I thought they were in high school, and then I thought they looked too old for it, and then they started drinking, so I figured college and in 1981 you could drink at 18 in a lot of states yeah and i was grandfathered in obviously you were too when they changed the drinking age in our state yes they're high school seniors they're supposed to be high school seniors is that what it says yeah at a private school called crawford academy oh all right because at one point somebody because uh... i think it's her 18th birthday she's celebrating later Okay. Well, they look a little old. They do, as they always do. Yeah. And they're all Canadian too, Karen, except for our star, Melissa Sue Anderson. They did not speak Canadian. They did. A... They were pretty good. Well, let me rephrase. They did not speak with a Canadian accent. <laughs> they didn't. They were much better than my bloody Valentine. Yes. So then we see a girl walking out of what looks like a college dorm and she gets tangled up in a lady walking her dog, gets tangled up in the leash. But it whips around her. It does. We're meant to think that it's something bad, like someone's like trying to hog tire or something. Yes, because it has that sound effect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> around her ankles. And apparently it's Mrs. Patterson. 
And I, we didn't know who she was at this point, except that she's a, a person of some authority, apparently. <laughs> Mrs. Patterson and? Bernadette. And? And the bulldog. Winston the bulldog. <laughs> Winston. So you want to know where bulldogs rank in intelligence? <laughs> yeah, Karen, where do they rank? I'm glad you're not making me guess. They rank 77th. <laughs> Mm. They it says they understand new commands after 80 to 100 tries <laughs> and obey the first command 25% of the time or worse. Not so smart the bulldogs. But apparently we like bulldogs because in the top 10 breeds of ownership, where do you think they rank? Top 10, I'm going to say they're I say they're 6th. You are absolutely correct. So I guess we don't like the smart ones. <laughs> Although I kind of remember Rottweilers being six, but was that intelligence maybe? I don't maybe. know. Yeah. So yeah, the big slobbery bulldog. And we learn about the top 10, Karen, which is like the click, the high school click at this school. They call themselves the top 10. Yes. And Bernadette's going to meet them. At a local bar doesn't say exactly where this takes place. I mean, if it's in Canada, the drinking age is even lower. True. They could be. But Mrs. Patterson scolds her and says she should spend more time on the books than at the end. And we see Bernadette gets in her car and she takes the keys from the glove box, Karen. <laughs> I said, I did. I laughed. I said, is it a community car? <laughs> I know. That's why I thought it's like maybe like her buddy left the car for her and said, hey, I'll put the keys in the glove box or whatever. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But as she's starting the car, she is grabbed by someone who's in the back seat and strangled. Someone with the black gloves, Karen. Yes. They pull her back into the back seat and she does manage to get the door open by with her feet. And then she pretends to be dead and runs out of the car. Yes, yeah, she so, does get out so of the car. not very far, Karen. No, and then she just stands there. <laughs> she just stands there, yeah. Multiple times. Then whoever was after her grabs her again, because she's only a few yards away, I guess. But she gets free again and runs a few more feet away, Karen, and stops again. She's just stupid. She deserves to die. <laughs> <laughs> then she runs into someone, and it appears she knows them. Yes. She's, thank oh, God, thank it's you. God it's you. Yes. And she's crying. Then she sees the person has a straight razor in their hand and slit her throat. She gone. Under six minutes. I thought Greg will nope. be happy. Six minutes and four seconds is what I wrote, Karen. Oh. <laughs> okay. Could have been a little slow on the click and the look at the time, but so about six minutes. We'll say six minutes. Then we see the silent woman tavern, Karen. A sign we with a headless see... woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. We did see the drawbridge in between there. Just yeah, that, there is a, it. that there is a drawbridge there. I guess I did. Yeah. And inside the tavern, they're singing 99 bottles of beer yeah. on the wall. A, a male fraternal organization. I guess all fraternal organizations are male, but <laughs> yes. a, a adult fraternal organization is in there. Much like the Shriners, because they're wearing fezzes. Yes, they are. I will just say my mother hated that song. 
We used to sing that all the time in the back of the car, us and the she's. <laughs> she hated it. That and found a peanut. Do you remember that song? I do not, Karen. All right. Well, but my now when I was listening to it, I thought my poor mother, because we went from 100 all the way down. Mm-hmm. On I remember doing trip. that on field trips a few times. Yep. And who we learn are um, Jeannie, who was Melissa Sue Anderson, and Alfred. Ginny. Ginny. Her name's Virginia. Right. But Ginny and Alfred are the last to arrive. And there's also a young man there, a young, handsome man there named Greg. <laughs> and he's blonde. and The blonde bronze. god. Yes. <laughs> but he's the a little Apollo hothead. of the group. Yeah, he is. And he ends up picking a fight with the fraternity there, fraternal organization. Alfred apparently is a taxidermist. And uh, he has a pet rat named George in his pocket that he's brought along. And he brought it to the bar. And they're passing the rat around. And then one of the kids, hey, let us buy you a beer to make up for, you know, our friend Greg here, who's being an ass. So they buy the, I call him the potentate, because that's what the Shriners call their leader. <laughs> leader, yeah. Or president or whatever. They buy him a beer and then they put the rat in the beer before they give it to him and you know, of course, the guy goes to take a drink. A rat comes out. He drops it. You know, hilarity ensues. The kids run out. Well, chaos. They just start destroying shit. You know, they're turning over tables. And Alfred does find George, which I was worried about. <laughs> but it, it's destructive. They're they're kind of elite assholes, these kids. Kids all run out and get in their cars. And at first I wrote, a train is coming and they're going to try to beat it. But then I'm like, no, it's not a train. It's the drawbridge. Because <laughs> all I could see was flashing lights and hearing the bell. You ever play beat the train, Karen? You ever race a train? No. But they have a thing where they try to beat the drawbridge. Yeah. And the first guy is like, I'm number one. I'm like, okay. But it's the people at the end that are the ones who right. are. And Greg, he's number Four or five or whatever. He's last. Five, yeah. And the one guy bets him 20 bucks that he chickens out. Number four, the guy who's number four, bets Greg, who's number five, that he chickens out. So the guy who's number four, he chickens out and stops. First mm-hmm. car goes over, and then motorcycle. it's the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. A motorcycle, then it's another car, then it's Anne and her VW Rabbit, Karen. Yes. <laughs> And then the fourth guy driving a uh, Corvette chickens out. Or was he number one? No, he chickens out. And then who's driving the Trans Am? Greg's driving the Trans Am. With Ginny and another girl with them. Yeah. It's it's a, actually, Karen, it's a 1976 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. Oh, it has the big bird on the front. Mm Mm-hmm. Any idea what one of those went for brand new, Karen? $9,000. You're way high. Really? <laughs> yeah. $3,905. That's not true, is it? That seems awfully low <laughs> for 1981? 76. The 76 transaction. Oh, it's a 76. Okay. Yeah. So maybe maybe $1,000 more. $4,900 okay. I'm seeing now. So it was a 76. Yep. Cool. Any idea what one of those goes for now, Karen? 
I bet a lot. A lot more than sold for new. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Well, not on the low end. The low end, it's about the same. Really? Yeah. I was thinking a lot more than that. You can get them, I guess, you know, they fixer were uppers for for $4,500, but. 22000 Average is 35000 Wow. Tricked out and meant 110 Crazy. 110 yeah. Well, they're, they were popular cars. I do remember that. Yeah, and, the, and I read that there was the Smokey and the Bandit um, oh, yeah. thing, too, that caused them to become very popular because <laughs> that's what he drove. Smoking the Bandit effect. So Greg jumps over and he tears up the front end of the car. Yes. When he lands. Of course he does. Right? That's important to note. So too. I wrote... He won 20 bucks, but he destroyed the front end of his car. Yes. But oddly, when we see it late, later next, it's fine. Yeah. In the very next shot, it's fine. Sitting on yeah. the bridge there. It's perfect. It's so whatever. Pristine. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They just showed us it getting smashed up. And then the very next shot, it's pristine. And it did. I don't know how real it was, but it did jump quite the distance on the drawbridge. But Ginny freaks out. She gets opens the door and runs out. It's Anne, I guess, who's in the car with them. No, Anne is in no. a fucking rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's one girl, I don't know her name. One or two of them. There's so a there's lot of extras. Anne, Maggie, and Amelia. Bernadette already bit it. So those are the only ones left. Doesn't matter. Anne is worried about her, and we hear ominous music. And Ginny walks through the cemetery. Apparently, it's on her way home, Karen. Yes, it is. <laughs> And there is some Froggy's Fog. Yes, and she stops at her mother's grave. She's got white socks and heels on. And I'm pretty I sure that- notice. Oh, I did. I'm pretty sure they're candies, which anybody who grew up around that time knows exactly what I'm talking about. Girls, mostly. Candies. <laughs> mostly. Well, I don't judge. <laughs> you want to wear your heels? Anybody can. But she's wearing white socks with them, like- Almost looking like tube socks. It's funny. But she stops at her mother's grave. I think it's Estelle Wainwright. Mm -hmm. 1943 to 1975, the grave says. And there's someone in the bushes watching Ginny. And they have the same gloves as the killer. These are very popular gloves, Karen. My dad had a pair, only they were brown. <laughs> Thank goodness. Then we learn it is Etienne. It was like some French student, right? Mom or dad's a French ambassador or some shit we find out later. As you said, these are all rich kids. But NTN offers to walk her home and she says, no, thanks. I will be fine. Ginny arrives home. Her father's not happy that she's been to visit her mother's grave again, Karen. He thinks she needs to let it go. We see Etienne sneaking around outside. Who is one of the 10? We should say. He is, yeah. Yeah. He climbs up the terrace. That's what I call it, a terrace. He climbs up and sneaks into the house through an Into open her window. window. Well, into we don't know window. it's her window. But yet. he does. Ginny goes to her room and finds the window open. She closes and locks it, Karen. Then she puts a cassette tape in her stereo and yeah, begins she's... to undress as you do. That's why she... <laughs> She has Gloria Vanderbilt jeans on <laughs> that had the little patch on the back. So she takes off her blouse, Karen. She puts it on a hanger and puts it back in her closet. Where we see he is. 
He's in there. That's the view of him. Is that what we're supposed to? That's his view. Yeah. Is that what we're supposed to think? So I he's hiding that. in the closet. Is that yes, what you she... do? Do you hang your blouse up on a hanger and put it back in the closet after you've been wearing it all day? <laughs> Depends. If it's a dry clean only, sometimes you do. But she puts on her robe over her bra. Yes, that she does. doesn't happen. And then she I... takes off her panties and she walks into she the bathroom. On the... She leaves them on the floor. She does. And she walks into the bathroom and she still has a panty line as she's walking. No, that I didn't bathroom. notice. No, I did. I, no- <laughs> I noticed her underwear was embroidered yes, with was. hearts and flowers. Yes. And then she sees a shadow on the shower curtain. And she pulls it back, but there's no one there. And then I wrote, is that a boudet or whatever behind her? A bidet? Bidet. She has a toilet. And another thing that looks like a toilet. Oh, maybe. I didn't notice that either. <laughs> yeah, it's a bidet. Then she runs a bath. And as she's running the water, she hears her window close. Or no, open, I guess. Yeah, she hears, she hears it wind. She hears wind. She rushes back in to close it. We see Etienne jumping from the terrace and running away. We do, but she doesn't. She does not. Next day at class, Mrs. Patterson... Who was apparently there. At first, I thought she was a teacher, but apparently she's like headmaster or something, right? Yeah. And Virginia and Anne are late and they're running to class. But apparently Bernadette is missing, Karen. Of course she is because she's dead. Mrs. Patterson is trying to find out what where she is, what happened to her. And, you know, she's one of the top 10 and she was supposed to be with them last night. Which say, she knows because she ran into her. So she does right. know that. Junie says, no, she was supposed to meet up with us, but she never showed. And she thinks that these guys know where she is. They don't do anything apart. They're always together and they won't say where she is. So Mrs. Patterson leaves and then we begin a class about, I don't know, I think it's by, I couldn't tell what kind of class it was. I think it's biology though. It's biology. They're using electricity on frog legs. Well, that could be something other than biology. Because at first, it looks like a demonstration of static electricity because they got his hair, the, the professor or teacher's hair is all standing up because one of the kids is controlling the static electricity device and making his hair stand up. So all the kids are laughing and the teacher doesn't know why. Yeah, then, I don't know how that's happening without him touching something, but whatever. He is holding the wires. Oh, and then he applies the wires to the frog's legs and make them move. And then Ginny has a flashback. Apparently, Ginny was experimented on, and she says, just like a frog in the lab, some experimental brain treatment I wrote. Yeah, it's weird. Yes, the doctor is regrowing her brain cells, which you can do that to a certain extent. Your brain cells do grow, but... There's diminishing returns at a certain point. You can recover a little bit, but after a while, you you don't. But there's it almost looks like an MRI machine or something. Mm -hmm. And they're with with LED lights on it. Yes, Christmas lights, whichever. And they're they're (laughs) they're charging her. And the dad says she hasn't been conscious in months, and she only moves when she's hooked up to this machine. And kind of twitching like the frog legs. (laughs) Yes, she is. Which might be why she's remembering it. But the one uh, 
younger doctor there says, her alphas are up, her alphas are up, we need to stop. And so I just wondered, you know, there's brain waves, do you know the types of them? I do not, Dr. Karen. <laughs> there's four. Well, this is very general. There's four, alpha, beta, delta, and theta. And alpha waves are associated with a state of relaxation. So I don't know why her alphas were up when she mm. was being shocked like that. This is what you, well, when you are daydreaming or meditating. Beta waves are associated with a state of alertness and mental activity. This is the brain wave you experience when you are wide awake and engaged in problem solving or other mentally challenging tasks. Delta waves are associated with a state of deep sleep. Delta waves can help improve your immune system and reduce stress levels. I'm sure if you get lots of deep, restful sleep, you're going to be in good shape. And theta waves are associated with a state of deep relaxation. This is the brain wave you experience when you're in light sleep or drifting off to sleep. So right now, I'm guessing that you are got a lot of beta waves going because you're wide awake and engaged in this mentally challenging task. That's, that's what I was going to say, Karen. I know that. I know it is. I know it is. So then Jenny sees her doctor. She well, she sits him. up. She sits straight up. This is in her memory, yeah. like a corpse, like a Dracula, like sits straight up. Then we cut to her with her doctor, who she calls David. Yes. The whole time. But his name is Dr. David Faraday. So I call him Dr. Faraday, who was played by Glenn Ford. And I was surprised at that. But we learned that Ginny has repressed memories. Doctor tells her that eventually she will remember. He also says he will not let anybody or anyone hurt her. That's redundant, isn't it? <laughs> well, anyone or anything, oh. right? Okay. What does he say? I thought I he mean, said, I wrote anybody or anyone. So oh, it, I think it was anyone or anything hurt her, which was a little creepy. This relationship is odd. It is he's, creepy. He's also got about five buttons of his shirt undone. <laughs> yes, he does. And a gold medallion. And this is 1981. I thought that was a little late for that, but it's Canada. So sometimes they're <laughs> a little behind. And he's actually Canadian too, which I didn't really know. And then they hug, Karen. Yeah. And I said... Is he the killer? Because, you know, but you can tell later that he's I, not. I rated my killers as I thought they were the killers. And I had him at number two at one point. <laughs> but you can tell pretty soon that he's not. It's... And we cut to a motocross race. And Etienne is racing. And the others are cheering him on. They are into it, too. They're into every sporting event and stuff that's going on. Yes, Steve, I think, has a gambling problem. <laughs> I agree. He bets on everything. Everything. So he wins. Etienne wins. Yes. And they agree to meet later at the bar. He's on a Suzuki motorcycle, too, Karen. Did you notice that? I did not. Yes. Because all the kids, when he finishes, he kind of, they, they get a little rough. The, the two leaders are kicking each other, and he kicks one, and the guy goes off into a ditch. So he wins and they make 200 bucks off the $50 bet. So they're like, let's celebrate. We have all this extra money. We'll meet it up tonight at seven. And Jenny says, too bad Bernadette wasn't there to see him win. I guess Bernadette and 
Etienne were a couple, kind of. But that's that's the impression I got. But he doesn't seem to care that she's no, not cause, around because he pulls Ginny's panties out from under his shirt. He says he kept them next to his heart, and that's how he was able to win. And she's not impressed. No, she's <laughs> mad. But Alfred looks on creepily. Yes. I think he has a thing. We kind of have a inkling that he has a thing for Jenny. So I had him number one. He was my first suspect. <laughs> so next we see Etienne working on his motorcycle. And a figure with black gloves approaches. And this is where you see they're coming down the stairs in white sneakers and very thin legs. Yeah. So I said, it's not the doctor. <laughs> That's what I knew. Because you can tell by stature it isn't him. And if it is him, then this would be all off. But the he figure... does say before he leaves, he, they can't go now because he has to clean up his bike. You can't just put the bike away. You have to clean it up. So that's what he's doing. No, he's doing a lot more than that, I think, but whatever. Well, he has to take care of the bike, make sure it's still okay. So the figure grabs the blue and black scarf he has wearing around his neck. It must be school colors or some shit. because A lot of the kids have this same scarf. Right. And he throws it into the wheel of the motorcycle, the rear wheel, the drive wheel. And it pulls his face into the wheel of the motorcycle. <laughs> Because he accelerates. Yes, or he revs the engine. Whoever the killer is accelerates the engine yes. as Etienne is being pulled into the wheel. And he gone. There's a lot of blood in this movie. Like, excess mm. blood. More blood than would be in certain situations, I think. Especially Just, later. Yeah, that's the only time I say there's excessive blood. We didn't even see this. We didn't see it, but the blood flew everywhere. I don't remember that part. <laughs> but he go. And we cut back to the bar. And everyone's wondering where Alfred is. He didn't show. So I think. Well, and neither again, did Etienne. Because he gone. Right. But. <laughs> but we know he's gone. We don't know about Alfred. So again, he's still my suspect. So then Jenny and Anne go to check on Alfred. Apparently they're worried about him, Karen. It's weird because he's the odd man out in the group for sure. He's very, you can see, introverted. But he's still, they, they still concern my member of the group, which is kind of weird too. Yeah, but I think that, does that have to do with money? I don't know. Only, I don't know. He doesn't quite fit with the group. He doesn't have the confidence. He doesn't have the personality, but he's in the group. So they're, they make this big effort. They don't give a crap that Etienne isn't there. They have to go check on Albert. But maybe well, they, he said that he would be there later anyway, so they weren't really expecting him at the end. I guess because he had to work on his bike. But anyway, Ginny and Ann go to check on Alfred. They go to his house. They look through the windows. They peep. They're peeping, Karen. Yes, they are. They don't see him. Ann, I guess, finds a open window and they sneak in to the house. Yeah, I couldn't understand why they needed to do this. And there's lots of taxidermy and. Alfred's house. And they make a huge racket getting in. And death they're... masks, I wrote. Yes. Death masks. Yes. Then they uncover what appears to be Bernadette's head. It's pretty good because it is her head. <laughs> it's the actress, you can tell. Oh, is it? By the gleam in her, her eyes are live. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Then they try to run out, but Alfred stops them. And I wrote, I'm not sure where he was hiding because I didn't really see any place because he just pulls the curtain from where they just ran from and he's there. But whatever. And we learn that it's a fake head that he has sculpted. It's his masterpiece. Yes. And he says, if they're both very good, he says, you could be my next models. So, yeah, he's looking like the killer. Next day, the girls are called to Mrs. Patterson's office. And she one at a time. Yeah. yeah. So Anne leaves and she walks out. We don't even see the thing with Anne in the office, but she walks out, tells or the secretary or one of them tells Jenny she's next. Right. Yeah. So Anne walks out. Jenny walks in. And in that time, Mrs. Patterson is on the phone talking to Bernadette's father. Yes. So I don't know. I assumed he called. Yes. It didn't make, wouldn't make any sense for her to call. But Mrs. Patterson is trying to find out where the missing students are. Because at this point, now we have two. We have Bernadette and Etienne. Mrs. Patterson gives Ginny the speech. She knew. She does say, I knew your mother. She was a local girl. And now all the kids are very wealthy. And that's what's causing this problem. You all think you're rich. You can do whatever you want. You sneer at people who had to work hard and who have to fight to get a decent education and you guys just do as you please. So she's sounds like she came not from money, Mrs. Patterson, because she's very annoyed with these kids. And she thinks these girls know where Bernadette is and she isn't, they aren't saying. So they get detention. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to find the kids, but whatever. So the kids decide to go to a movie. They're going to go see high noon starring Gary Cooper, Karen. After the movie, they're all walking out, and apparently Rudy wasn't invited. A guy named Rudy. I think he broke up with, is it Maggie? Yeah, he and Maggie apparently broke up, and now she's with Steve. So she got over Rudy real quick, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> Pretended to, anyway. So then Rudy and Steve fight over Maggie. Rudy drives off in a huff. Then Jenny, Alfred, and Anne go have a drink. Yes, because Alfred, in the initial bar scene, offers to buy Ginny a drink. She says, no, we all pay for our own. He said, but I want to buy you a drink, you know, like separate. And she says, no. And then at this point, she says, you know, that drink you said you would buy, let's go get it now. And they walk off. Next, we see Greg at his house. Up an iron, Karen. Well, yeah. <laughs> Loved figure walks in and Greg recognizes him. He says, oh, it's you. And he asks the person, hey, put 10 more pounds on. So the person does and he lifts that a few times. He's bench pressing. Bench pressing. Yeah, that's the word I was so, looking for. <laughs> he's on the bench and he's lifting the weights straight up from his chest. So he's bench pressing and they had 10 more pounds and that was easy. So he says, add 225. That's a big jump. Yep. That's 50 more pounds. Yeah. On top of the two tens. Yes. So it looked like he had on each side 225s when they were starting, right? So he was doing 100 pounds plus the bar probably. Which is usually about 30. Then they add 10 pounds each. So that's another 20 pounds. So that's if it was 130, now it's 150. 
put 50 more pounds on. So now it's 200. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Never. And never he struggles. <laughs> he does struggle. And the killer moves the rack back so he can't yes. rack it. Yeah. The braces all, will hold the bar up. But all he had to do was tilt. That, that is true, Karen. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm like, tilt, tilt. But then it gets even uglier. Then the figure grabs one of the, looks like a 25 pound weight. So, yes, Greg is struggling. He's hold, His hands are on the bar with the 200 pounds. He's struggling because he wants to rack it. He can't. So he should tilt to the side, but he doesn't. And then what does the killer do? Killer dr- walks over with the the weight. The round weight. Yep. Figure holds it above Greg's crotch and drops it <laughs> right on his crotch. Which causes, of course, a reflex and the weights fall on him and he gone. Blood, yeah. blood splatters. Blood splatters everywhere. Which is interesting because you said this was the same people who did My Bloody Valentine. And we saw very little blood in that movie. And this one has a lot more. This one has, a, I think, has a higher budget, too. This is the bigger budget of the two. But for ratings wise, didn't you say they had to take some out? They did in the My Bloody Valentine. This one seems to have a lot more blood. Maybe they didn't have to take any out. Well, they didn't. They don't have nudity in this, and they had a little nudity in that one, right? Yes. So then Amelia arrives with pizza and beer. Without a bra, even I noticed that. (laughs) She walks in, and the door closes behind her, and the weights fall and almost hit her but there's no blood there is no blood everything's clean i mean the weights have a little blood on them but do they the bench and the floor and everything is completely spotless had a cleaner come in thank you so much for listening to the podcast we appreciate you spending time with us you know you can help us grow our audience by following us on social media at Scary Spirits Podcast. Just look for us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to tell all your friends to find us too. Now let's get back to the show. Cut to a soccer game, Karen. It's an intense soccer game. Kill them! Kill them! Steve is making wagers. Yes, he is. And apparently... Alfred is playing goalie because Greg is missing. And I think he is the usual goalie. Because at one point they say they wish Greg was there or something. Because it's a penalty kick. And Alfred blocks it. Yes, he does. And then Rudy is driving down the field with the ball. Time's about to expire. Yeah, we see the ref or umpire, whatever they call them in soccer. Refs. (laughs) Looking at his watch putting the whistle in his mouth and of course steve and the other guys are yelling no no not yet because they've made the bet yes and rudy scores the winning goal just as time expires so steve wins his bet again and rudy hugs Ginny, and ann kisses alfred (laughs) yes then rudy makes a date with Ginny. Which does not make his old girlfriend happy. Who is no, that? He's moving Maggie? on. He's they're all moving on, Karen. Yep. Maggie. Next we they're... see Rudy 
Well, leaving. they're going to meet at the chapel, is yeah. what he says to Ginny. And we see Rudy leaving. And as he's leaving, he stops and buries something in a flower bed or covers it's up a something scarf. in a flower bed that is in the flower bed. It's the it's the school scarf. So then we see Jenny and Rudy, I guess, at the chapel in the bell tower. And Rudy does his horror impressions. Yes, he does. And he says something about, you know, what if I just cut this rope almost all the way through? I didn't really get what the point of that was. But he does play a prank on the priest or whatever when he goes to ring the bell, the rope. But she seemed extra upset by that. I don't know. But he does pretend to be Quasimodo for a while. That's a fictional character from the novel The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo. Quasimodo. Yeah. Esmeralda, I think, is the girl that he falls in love with. But he's goofing around in a way that makes it seem like he's not all there in the head. And so she starts to get afraid and he does pull out a knife and then they go into a black corner. He shuts the door too. So she can't get down. Yeah. It's a trap door. Next we see blood dripping from the tower onto the floor below in the chapel. Yes. Then the priest comes to ring the bell. The bell rings once and then the rope falls and the end of the rope is cut and bloody. Jenny goes to the hospital to see the doctor. Runs. She's a fr- she's yeah, freaking she out. Well, she's freaking out. And a bloody body on a gurney, whatever passes her, with a head wound, it looked like. Yes. And then she starts having flashbacks about her brain surgery. And in her flashback, <laughs> or in her imaginations, or daydreams, or whatever, she dies on the operating table. All I have written is, that's not a heart rate monitor. I don't know what what it was but it wasn't a heart rate monitor but anyway and then i wrote are the other kids the surgical team because their faces were covered and everything but their eyes and the way they spoke it i made it made me think that they were the kids no i think it was the doctor from before and the young guy i think but could be then we see jenny and dr david Dr. David's happy she remembered the operation, but she comes out of that vision screaming. She tells the doctor about being with Rudy in the bell tower and that he had a knife and she doesn't remember anything after that. And she seems a little traumatized. Doctor says he will check out the bell tower. And he's going to take her home. Next day, we see Dr. Faraday at his house getting his paper from the front porch. That's how we know, because the paper boy delivers the paper. And we hear news reports playing on the radio about the missing students and a bloody knife found in the bell tower. Yes, and at the hospital, he had a tie on, but now we can tell he's casual because his shirt's unbuttoned again and he's wearing his medallion. <laughs> Could be a you know, Catholic Saint charm or something, Karen. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> But he's awfully casual with her is what I noticed. Next, we cut to back to the school and the police are questioning the students about the missing kids. Dr. Faraday arrives. He pulls Ginny into a book section stack. of the library or whatever. Into the stacks of books, <laughs> the book stacks, yes. And they do seem to know him at the school. They greet him by name. 
the doctor says, hey, tell me everything, you know, about the bell tower, whatever, whatever you remember. And then a police officer runs in and tells the other cops there that you, need, you better come outside and see this. So they run out. And then the kids say, hey, I think they found something outside. And they all ran out. <laughs> Which, of course, is going to happen, right? Except for Ginny. And they find a scarf in the flower bed, which looks just like Greg or yeah, Greg's. No, Etienne's, right? They all have that scarf. I think. Yeah, it's but a... I think this Etienne's is what we're supposed to believe. Come back to the library, and Rudy startles Ginny. Yeah, he like jumps from above, like he hangs upside down or something, mm-hmm. and then he comes. So he's alive. He's alive, but he did cut his hand and he got like 14 stitches or something. But she doesn't remember any of it. She tells him that they are digging in the flower beds outside. So, of course, they all run out. They pull a skull out of the flower bed, Karen. Dr. Faraday asked to take a look at it. It's a dirty, yeah. muddy skull. And the policeman just says, okay, and hands it to him. No He's gloves. No, nothing. No preservation of the crime scene whatsoever. He just wipes the mud off of it's it. It's a skull. There's not going to be anything left from the crime. That's not true. All kinds of things could be on it. Faraday looks at it and he says that it says on the back of it, property of Crawford Academy. Science department. Yep. It's a joke. It is. So then Rudy and Maggie hug. I don't know. Their exes, right? Yeah, but I think Maggie was scared. She thought it was one of the kids. So do you think he set it up so that she would be afraid and he could hug her? Maybe. Or is he just the jokester of the group? He may be the jokester of the group, too, because he's the one that put the rat in the drink earlier. Then Ginny invites Dr. Faraday to her birthday party that Sunday. I just said this is an inappropriate relationship. Next, we see the kids apparently are in the pump house of a pool. I don't know where they are, but they're together. They're together. (laughs) Smoking a joint. And there's windows so you can see under the pool from the pump house. And Ginny sees the body of Maggie sinking. And she looks like she's, she gone. That's what it looks like. Oh, see, I didn't know. I couldn't figure that out. I thought that was some sort of vision she was having. So Ginny runs out. Gotcha. And then as soon as Ginny runs out, Maggie pops up and waves at everyone else. (laughs) You know? And Rudy does ask Ginny to the dance right before she runs out. Then Ginny drives away. And as she's driving, she has more flashbacks. Rudy also drowning. Right. Rudy was also kissing her. And they're talking about where Alfred is again. But yes, she's having flashbacks in the car of someone drowning. Then we see her back at the graveyard again. A figure with black gloves is following her. We see it's Alfred. Alfred is also wearing a blue and black scarf. Similar to Etienne's. Yeah, he's coming up behind her and then he stops. He reaches real slowly into his pocket for something. And just as he's pulling it out, Ginny turns around and stabs him with gardening shears. Which we saw earlier she was using to trim the grass around the grave. But I was surprised she did that. Yeah. <laughs> Although that got me. Like, I didn't expect her to do that. And a flower is in Alfred's hand, we see, as he's lying there. Yes. And he gone. 
And she is wearing black gloves. Ginny is? Yeah, when she stabs him. So is he. Yeah, they both are. Mm, okay. It's kind of a nice shot, I guess, where he falls to the ground and his hand slowly opens. Mm-hmm. And what's in there is a flower for yeah, her. A white flower. Yeah. That's sad. So we cut to Ginny's house and apparently her dad's got to go one way on business. He's got to put out some fires, Karen. <laughs> yeah, it looks almost like an oil rig, don't you think? Yeah. But he promises he will be back in time for her birthday. At first, Sun- he kind of forgets it, but Sunday we'll be back afternoon. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Cut to the school dance, Karen. Apparently, the Saturday before Jeannie's birthday. I wrote, Maggie is still making eyes at Rudy. Some of these people look in their 30s, I said. <laughs> then Steve goes to Rudy and asks him to dance with Maggie. Apparently, he... His- Brought Maggie, it looked like, to the dance. Yeah. yeah, they're supposed to be dating. They got in a fight after the movie over Maggie. But apparently Steve's done. <laughs> He's just like, fuck it. Go ahead and be with Fruity. <laughs> I'm going to move on to Ginny. Yep. <laughs> so Steve and Ginny dance. And then Steve tries to pick up Ginny. He wants to know if she wants to go, go for a ride and burn one, Karen. She's all in. She is. She asked him over to her place since her dad is out of town. She makes great midnight snacks, Karen. Yes, she does. Then we're at Jenny's house. Jenny gives Steve a shish kebab. Yes. <laughs> that made me laugh when she came out. The whole point is for them to get together and she's in the kitchen making kebabs. It looks I mean, like they're drinking wine, too. Yeah, but that's not like you're not. Heating up pizza Lying rolls in the microwave. Fire. You're not heating up pizza rolls in the microwave to get the food part out of the way. She made kebabs. <laughs> like, this is, it was funny. But she makes his extra spicy. And hers isn't spicy. So they're talking about who likes it spicy and who doesn't. I actually thought that she was poisoning him. Because she kept feeding him spicy, you know, hand feeding him the food. Then they kissy face. Yes, they do. by the fire, Karen. Then he says his his ass is burning (laughs) from the spice. But she keeps feeding I thought it was from the fire. I thought it was because he ate all the hot stuff. But okay. So you think he was passing gas there, kissing I don't know. (laughs) His ass was on fire. (laughs) So I guess you're right. It must have been the heat from the fire. (laughs) I thought he meant he had to use the bathroom. Because doesn't that happen if you eat spicy stuff? (laughs) All right. Well, you know how these movies are. You're bitten by something. You're immediately dead. You know, they they make things go faster. Then Ginny feeds Steve with the the shish kebab. And she shoves it into his skull. Yes. (laughs) He He gurgles. He falls and we see blood. And there's blood all over his face. Which... Didn't really make it a lot of excessive, sense. excessive, I don't think, though. But next we see Anne, next morning, arriving in her 1977 Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, Ginny comes to the window, and she's like, what time is it? And Anne was supposed to be there at noon. Yeah, she's so- honking her horn, because we found out the night before that Anne was going to come over to Ginny's house around noon, because her dad said, you can have a friend over while I'm gone. But Anne wants to hear all the gory details of what happened between her and Steve. 
Yeah, so Jeannie just grabs the keys, throws it out the window, says she's going to take a shower, tells the end to come on in. So Jeannie says Steve, like yeah. she doesn't remember it. Yes. Like she doesn't even remember night. he was there. Nope. But Jeannie's in the shower. Next, Jeannie in the shower, having flashbacks. Her mother drinking and driving in the rain. She and Jenny are driving and get stuck on the bridge. Mom tries to beat the bridge, the drawbridge. I think she's stuck. drunk and she just doesn't notice. The car falls into the water. We see it repeatedly falling. And it falls upside down every time except for the last time. Last time, yeah. It yep. falls right side up and it sinks. And of course there's air pockets in the car. It's like a 77 Thunderbird or something like that. And Jenny's mother tells her to take a deep breath and swim to the surface as she opens the window. I think her mother is stuck somehow with the steering uh, wheel. Steering wheel. Yeah. So she can't, she knows she can't get out. But she's going to open the window for her, Karen, she says. Yeah. I don't know how she's going to do that. I think they did this on Mythbusters. <laughs> And they could not open the window. It's an electric window, right? It's a power window. I don't know. That's what I was going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, it's a power window. I don't think it's going to work. And Shouldn't I think they in the water. On, yeah, I think they proved that on Mythbusters. Which is why some people for a you long time- You have to time, wait for the cabin to fill up so it depressurizes. Then you can just open the door with no problem and swim out. Trick is don't panic. Just let it fill with water. Take a breath. Open the door. Well, and exit. it depends on how far down you are, too. <laughs> true, that is true. You know, that's, but not panicking would be very difficult. I would think. Yeah, I think I would panic. So she opens the window. Jenny swims out, but her mother mother is trapped by the steering wheel, like we said. And there's a boat above as she surfaces. And I wrote, is she hit by the boat because there's blood in the water when she? Yeah, I think it was the blade, the right? Like a boat motor like a blade okay i think it i think it cut her head when she came to the top okay so that's why they did all that brain shit right yes all right so then we cut to back to present time and jenny is sitting in the bathroom in her robe now right out of the shower but water is overflowing from the bathtub like the shower's not even on anymore the bath water is running right right she pulls back the curtain and she sees Anne in the tub with her neck slit so it's bloody. Jenny screams for help. But there's no blood in any of the water that's coming out of the tub. No, there is not. Then Dr. Faraday arrives. Jenny is waiting for him in her button-down dress shirt and panties, I guess. <laughs> not wearing any pants, is she? She runs around a lot like this. And she's telling him that, I killed her. She's upstairs in the bathroom. So he makes her show him where it is. and He drags her up there. She doesn't yeah. want to go. Ginny is hysterical. He forces her to look in the tub, and there is no body there. And Ginny collapses. Cut and to Ginny. She, sorry, she's sitting by the fire. And I thought, oh, he brought her some tea, because he says, this will warm you up. Mm -hmm. No, what did he bring her? I don't know. Scotch or something. He brought her alcohol. <laughs> Maybe he did. He's liquoring her up. Doctor tells her that she is making progress. She remembered the accident. They just have to figure out what the connection is to the accident in her friends that makes her trigger this shit. 
Jenny thinks for a moment and she says, it's the bridge because they, yeah, they you know, do the racing that they play chicken on the bridge as it goes up and they call it the game. The doctor says he will stay with her until her father gets home. He thinks it's best if he stays. <laughs> and then she says it's her birthday because it's after midnight. It's after midnight. And he says, happy birthday. And she puts her face to his hand. And then there's like a flashback of when she was a little girl or something. I don't know what that was. Did you see that? Mm-mm. It's weird. She kisses his hand. Yeah, but then she turns into like a child. I don't remember I c- that. Cut to the next day. See Anne's VW Rabbit on the road outside Ginny's house and the police are there. Police inspector drives up to Ginny's house and knocks on the door. Dr. Faraday answers. Detective says, hey, we're looking for Anne. She's missing, and her car is right out here in the road. Doctor says that he's been there all day, all night. Ginny has had no visitors, and that she is sleeping. Then the policeman gives the doctor the newspaper that was there on the porch. Dr. Faraday goes up to Ginny's room and wakes her up and tells her that Anne is missing. Of course, Ginny thinks she killed her. Doctor shows Ginny the newspaper. Front page has the photos of all the missing students. And he says they're just missing. You know, we don't know what happened. Just missing. Doctor asks Ginny what happened before the accident with her mother. She needs to remember. Try to remember. Flashback. Ginny's birthday party. Years before, yeah. All the kids are supposed to be there, but they are late. They're an hour late at this point. And Ginny's father calls and wishes her a happy birthday. He is out of the country. And he and asks, mother and father do not get along well. No. Of course, father asks if all of her friends are there and if they're having a good time. And she says, oh, yes, daddy, they're all here. She lies. So her mother has invited the six richest kids to the party, but they don't come. Ginny tells her mom that all the kids are at a party at Anne's house. She heard them talking about it at school. And that drives Ginny's mom over the edge. <laughs> yes, it does. For reasons says, well, we you should be at that party then. So she drives Ginny to the party. In, in a, the pouring rain. Pouring, it's pouring rain. rain. And they get to the gate of Anne's house because apparently Anne's got money too. <laughs> well, they all do. Yeah. And they try to, Ginny tries to get the guy to open the gate, but they won't let her in. He knows her name, which I didn't understand at that time. This security guy knows who she is. Yeah, she's a local. She is a local, but he knows her. We find out later why, but. Well, I mean, I think she knows her because she's a local and that. No, he, he knows her for other reasons. Well, it's possible too. But he does say just because you send your kid to Crawford Academy is not going to change who you are. He says, take your girl and go home. She says she's a rich woman now and she will show them. Shove it in their faces (laughs) is what she says. Yes. She says she won't be bought off again. Then Ginny runs out of the room and leaves the doctor. After her mom in the vision says, we're going to make them pay. They're all going to pay. So then I thought, well, is this a Friday the 13th kind of thing where the mother pulled herself out of the river, you know, and is (laughs) killing all the kids? 
Ginny goes downstairs and grabs a fireplace poker. Well, we see someone grab the fireplace poker, right? Yeah, wearing the same fucking clothes as she is. Yep. None, except for a shirt. (laughs) She hits Dr. Faraday with it and blood goes everywhere. (laughs) I mean, that was... She just hit the back of his head. It's like his head cracked like a watermelon. Explodes. You know, the room is covered in blood. So later, Ginny's dad arrives home bearing gifts. Yep, he's got presents. He goes to Ginny's room and finds blood everywhere. He screams for Ginny. He thinks it's her blood, of course, because he doesn't know that David was there. He runs to the cemetery and finds... Amelia standing there holding a gift. I didn't know who that was. It was Amelia. Why is she just standing there like that? I think she's in shock. Oh, did she see something? I think so. But I just I think she's there for the birthday party. Oh, but there wasn't a birthday party. Yeah, her birthday party was supposed to be Sunday, which it is now, right? But it's late Sunday. I couldn't tell who that was. I was like, is that the mother? Who is that? No, it's Amelia. Gotcha. And then the dad just passes her by, just leaves her there. And then he sees his wife's grave has been dug up and her body is missing. Yes, he goes and finds a coffin and opens it and there's nothing in it. But he does find Dr. Faraday lying right there dead as well. Yes, so I thought, oh, the mother's alive and put Ginny in the <laughs> coffin, but no. So then he goes to the guest house, Karen. Which is where the original birthday party was held. Correct. And the, they call it the cottage, but it's the guest house on the property. It's dark in there and cobwebs everywhere, but it appears the table is still set for the birthday party from years before. Yeah, it looks like nobody's gone in there since that birthday party. Correct, since... Mom died. Yes. But mom is there sitting in one of the chairs, Karen. Yes, she is. (laughs) And then Ginny enters singing happy birthday to me with a cake all lit up with candles. He brings the cake in, puts it on the table, and then the room lights up and we see all the bodies of her friends are there at the table, Karen. All wearing party hats. Yep. (laughs) One of them either has even has a like a party horn in their mouth. <laughs> yep. Dad is shocked. And Ginny walks towards him with a knife. She has her dad sit at the table and puts a hat on his head. <laughs> and he's sobbing at this point. Because he feels like this is his fault for letting the experimental procedures go on on her. She makes a wish and blows out the candles on the cake. Then she cuts the cake with the knife. Then she turns and slits the throat of her father. Yum. Then she says, now for you, bitch. And picks up the head of who we thought was Anne. Face down on the table wearing her blue sweater. But dun dun dun. It's Ginny. It's Ginny. I said, what evil twin shit is this? <laughs> and Ginny calls her she calls Ginny her sister. <laughs> And then she removes her sweater, and they are wearing identical dresses. At this point, I know who it is, right? Yes. Well, (laughs) yeah, by process of elimination, (laughs) pretty much. Everyone's here just as you always wanted. Yes. Seated around the table waiting to celebrate your precious birthday. Since I ruined your last party, 
I've made certain nothing's going to go wrong this time. Yeah, they're all here to celebrate your precious birthday. As a special treat, they all get to watch you die. She Not says. murder, but suicide. Suicide. Yeah. So she puts the knife in Ginny's hand and plans to make it look like a suicide. They fight. Ginny grabs at the face. The real Ginny grabs at the face of her attacker. And we find it is a mask. And we see it as Anne wearing a mask. I'm just going to say right here, Anne's breast size changes from <laughs> quite a bit in this. <laughs> oh, does it? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> or they do. She's a famous um, soap star, I think. Yeah. I recognized her. My grandmother used to watch The Young and the Restless, and I think I she was on that. Then Anne explains how she used, she didn't explain what she used, but I think it's chloroform. Yes. She explains the murders to to her, basically. Just like like in Batman. Yes. All right, I'm going to kill you now, but before I'm going to tell you everything I did and how I did it (laughs) and what I'm going to do or whatever, right? So she explains the murders, how she used chloroform on Ginny and took her place and killed all their friends. Anne explains that Ginny's mother was her father's mistress, so they are sisters. So apparently they have the same father. Yes. <laughs> and same mother, right? For... And that's something. No. Maybe. Anne's, no. Anne's yeah. mother is different. Right. You're his daughter. And They're half you're... sisters. Yes. Your mother would never let my father forget it. That's why her mother, meaning Anne's mother, left because she could never forgive him for being with Ginny's mother. You ruined our lives. You should have died that night at the canal. You never should have been born. They struggle, and in the struggle, Ginny stabs Anne. She gone. But right at that moment, the police detective walks in just in time to see Ginny stab Anne. He says, what have you done? Because he sees the whole scene, and (laughs) it looks like... Table of corpses with her standing there with a bloody knife. Then we hear... Someone singing happy birthday to me, but it's not her because her lips ain't moving. But then her lips are moving in a little bit. So Hmm. I think it is supposed to be her singing it because at the end, her lips move a little bit. Credits. The end. All right, Karen, anything you really enjoyed or were pleasantly surprised in this film? It's a tough one. I didn't know until the end who the murderer was. So I guess that's kind of interesting. I had her as number three. She was my third choice. (laughs) I didn't get suspicious of her until the dance. And when Ginny said she was leaving with Steve, Anne followed. Hmm. But we never really saw her again. So that's where I got a little suspicious of her. But I would never have thought that she'd be wearing the latex mask to look exactly like Ginny. Like, I didn't figure that part out at all. Apparently, apparently strapping down her boobs, too. Yes. (laughs) So I would say that was, you know, at least I didn't know from the second scene who the murderer was. And, you know, so there was that. I think the story. They tried to leave you, lead you different directions. It was like they always do. Yes. And it did a pretty good job of that. I think the story was kind of good. It wasn't so cliched, you know, I mean, they, they did 
I thought they were going to make the mother the killer and that would have been, you know, very Friday the 13th ish, but I thought it was a good twist and turn. This was filmed before Friday the 13th, just so you know, but I think it did come out after it. Friday the 13th came out, but it was filmed beforehand. Well, it wasn't, it didn't copy that anyway. No. But in my mind, that's what I thought was going to happen because that was left as a kind of a loose end. Apparently in the original script, Ginny was the killer and they changed it late in filming. Well, I thought that because as I was watching it and I kept going, well, maybe she is, which I thought, how refreshing would that be? Right. (laughs) That because usually you're watching it and you're saying, you know, the main, you know, she's not the killer because they want you to think she's the killer and she's being set up as the killer. So she can't be the killer. And then at about three quarters of the way through, I thought, wow, that's cool. They're going to make her the killer. I would have liked that actually. I mean, she does kill one person, but it would have been, I thought, a better story if she had been the killer, personally. Because you would have been at least going, oh, man. (laughs) What about you? Did you like anything? I did write at one point there was some nice lighting techniques in it. But really, it wasn't anything any, you know, better or more spectacular than like TV shows at the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> it had a TV show feel. <laughs> it did. I did like that they, you know, like I said, they kept wanting you to believe it was one person or another. And so you knew as soon as they were leading you that way that that wasn't the person, right? But, or you assumed, at least I did. Well, they're making us think it's Alfred. It can't be Alfred then. Well, because he gone, <laughs> right? So it ain't I Alfred. I would say... Then. Of all of the actors, I thought he was the best. Alfred? Yeah, because I think he embodied his character the best. I thought you know? I thought Melissa Sue Anderson was good. You did? Yeah, I thought she was good. This is her first film role. She was fine. Okay. I didn't I didn't like her. I thought it was all over the top. I thought he did a good job of making you think that he could be the killer. Anything else you liked? Not particularly. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't. Music wasn't good. Some of the cars were cool. Well, yeah, and other things I didn't like about it. I thought it was too long. Um, I thought the David relationship was just weird and creepy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that could Dr. have been. Dr. David. Yeah, they could have cut that out. There were too many characters. I couldn't remember the names of some of the girls. I know they had to have extra girls in there to match up with the guys, but there was just too many people, too long, too many people. And I mean, it was sort of a little unbelievable that they have these top 10 kids and then they're all interchangeable. Like one minute, one's kissing one, one minute they're kissing another one. That would break apart. That would blow up a group in a matter of days if that happened. I didn't think Melissa Sue Anderson was very good. If you compare her to someone like Jamie Lee Curtis in her first movie role, you know? Yeah. So the only survivors are Ginny, Maggie, Rudy, and Amelia. Yeah. Okay. I wonder why they didn't kill Maggie, Rudy, and Amelia. What? <laughs> it was already almost two hours long. 
I also yeah, don't understand how they didn't remember her. Yeah. She said that it was, was only weird. four years ago. She was yeah. there, but she was only there for a couple of weeks. I mean, I could see that, you know, I guess I, mean, I barely she... remember you from <laughs> well, high school. I'm not, I'm not memorable. <laughs> right. So I just, I, I remember, you know, well, you don't remember them kids now. Who were there, like for a couple of weeks when I was a freshman and well, that's now, but yeah, I guess you were still in high school, you know, and she looks exactly the same. And there would be rumors that this was the girl that everybody would know who she was. She got her head sliced open in the canal. Like that's something people would talk about. And now she's Probably. back, you know, I mean, it's not like she just went away. There was this big deal in this small town I mean, if you were in the can, almost drowned in the canal, your mom dies because you were in the canal, and then you ha you got sliced up. People would know when you came back because that would have been a topic of conversation, and they act like they had no idea who she was. And Anne's yeah. the the only reason she was part of the group was because Anne took her under her wing, but Anne knew it was her sister back in the first birthday party. So what what triggered it? And wanting to kill every kill her so much, kill everybody. I didn't get it. What's the motivation? She's got and enough, Anne, Karen. Anne had a psychotic break, and that yeah, was she it. ruined her last birthday oh, by having a party. The same maybe day. her mom left in that amount of time or something. I don't know. Could be, yeah. Who knows? But still, it was fifteen years or fourteen years of her knowing, and she almost died. Why didn't she kill her in those fourteen years? And why did Anne have to kill all her friends? They could have just done a carry where they pretended and she, came she to the snapped, birthday Karen. party. She snapped. But she <laughs> killed all the people who had nothing to do. Oh, I guess to frame to frame her is why yeah, she killed she them. She succeeded. But she could have just killed one or two. She didn't need to kill all of them. She yeah. killed all her friends. Well, except for Maggie and Rudy and Amelia. <laughs> I guess. But still, that's a lot of They'll your friends. Don't come visit are... her in prison. Her in the psych ward. <laughs> no, I'm saying Anne killed all her friends. Yeah. Her friends. Her yeah. own friends. Yeah. Anne's dead, too. They're not going to visit yeah. her. No, but the Maggie, Rudy, and Amelia they can go see Jeannie. They can. But could you kill three quarters of your friends group? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be thinking about it, should I? <laughs> no, you should say no, but... No, Karen, I could not. But I'm just thinking of Anne. You know, it was four years ago when she was she was friends with these people before Ginny even arrived. These she probably grew up with these kids, right? Right. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. Why? Well, so you know, you know how shit changes in high school, Karen. <laughs> maybe, but she could have just killed David, you know, and framed her somehow. Why did she have to kill the all her? It just kind of shocked me that. Anne's killing her own friends. Ginny, if she had a psychotic break over the party, okay. But Anne, why is Anne killing her friends? I mean, you better come to all my birthday parties. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> from this day forward. All birthday parties will be attended by my friends or there will be hell to pay in four years. Just a little weird. Excessive killing for no real reason which i get these things are but it's a, it's a slasher film here 
Yeah, but it didn't make sense. It made more sense if Ginny was the actual killer. I suppose. But, you know, they, they need a twist now, you know. Even Friday the 13th had a twist. Yes, but then you know the motivation for her killing them. True. I still don't get why Anne killed her own <laughs> friends. They didn't do anything to her. Because she's a sociopath. She didn't have any friends. <laughs> well, I guess. Or she plotted for, you know, 18 years to take down Ginny. Well, she didn't and know Ginny was, was going to come back. It's probably when Ginny came back that triggered her. Maybe. So four years. I mean, she figured, oh, she's in a coma. I'm done with her. She got what she deserved. She won't remember who she is. Yeah. But then, boom, there she is. That's probably true. So with it's not with her beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> so, yeah. So she gets back and it's just it's less than a year then. You're right. That must be what it was. But still, I wouldn't murder all my friends. All right. What kind of cocktail rating you want to give this film, Karen? It's a definite four. Okay. I feel you like agree? I liked it better than you did, but I'll, I agree it's a four, but I would give it a three and a half. Really? Yeah, I would. If we separated them into genre, like teen slasher and, you know, psychological thriller or whatever, and we went that way, I guess it's not so bad. All right, Karen, what did you think of your birthday cake cocktail? I like it. My, I think my, it's gonna my mine has evaporated. I think I even I even licked the rim. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Always a plus. I think it's good. I don't think it's gonna fit in our recipe den <laughs> as well as a lot of our other drinks, but you know, I liked it. I did too. It was delicious. Anything we learned today, Karen? What did we learn? Brainwaves, Bulldogs, Quasimodo, anything else? 1976 Pontiac Firebird oh, Trans Am. Yes. Don't sing 100 bottles of beer on the wall near my mom. <laughs> and don't trust me to open bags of M&Ms. So four cocktails. We've had a lot of four cocktails recently. Would you like, like to hear some review from the time, Karen? Ooh, Critics Corner. <laughs> yes. Please. Well, I did watch an old Siskel and Ebert, and it was Gene Siskel's Dog of the Week. He called it disgusting, needlessly gruesome. <laughs> really? It wasn't he, that bad. That's I, what guess. He, I know. That's what I thought, too. But that's what he said. Then I have a review here, Karen, from from the New York Times, Ooh. from May fifteenth, nineteen eighty one. What and did I'm they going say? To, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to leave. Okay. Happy birthday to me looks like a comparatively expensive ripoff of such teenage love and meat cleaver films as Friday the Thirteenth and Prom Night. It's a mystery horror movie with a fatal flaw: the denouement. Denument, that's what it looks like, which I guess is the ending in which half the grisly murders are explained requires almost as much footage as the murders themselves. In addition, the reversals on what we've been shown earlier make no sense whatsoever, even when you think about them, which isn't easy. 
When these young men and young women, snobs all, begin to disappear without trace, Virginia starts to suffer from acute attacks of what in movies is called the flashbacks. Episodes in which we are fed information that Ibsen would have reduced to a single speech. The performances by the young members of the cast are lifeless even before the characters are murdered, resulting (laughs) in a certain amount of narrative confusion. The only person who stands out is Glenn Ford, who has done many far, far better things than what he is doing now. He plays a psychiatrist whose practice appears to be limited to the unfortunate Virginia. I thought he was just creepy. I have another one from Variety. Okay, what do we got? May 13th, 81. This one, I'm going to read the whole thing because it's just too good not to. (laughs) Oh, There is considerable evidence that whoever created the advertising campaign for Happy Birthday to Me never bothered to see the picture, or at least forgot it quickly. Quote, John will never eat shish kebab again, unquote. The catch line (laughs) screams over artwork not taken from the film, which also does not have a character named John. (laughs) Quote, Stephen will never ride a motorcycle again, unquote. The advertising ads, ignoring the minor matter that it was Etienne, not Stephen, who gets his in the spokes. What's more, the picture promises six of the most bizarre murders you will ever see. A bit of an exaggeration. The first murder is a throat slashing, perhaps the 9,000th scene in films like this to date, followed by two commonplace stabbings and one death by fireplace poker. The motorcycle strangulation is a bit unusual, but barely seen, and the guy crushed by the barbells would have to be counted as a suicide, since if the film were logical, he had plenty of places to dump the weights beside his own body. (laughs) Exactly, yes. That leaves the shish kebab, which is only a variation on previous themes. Ordinarily, it might seem unfair to judge a film by its advertising, But since films like this get slapped together for the hard sell, it's as good a standard as any. Certainly, there's nothing to be said for the acting, direction, or story, which is monumentally stupid, dependent throughout on a frail girl to kill and carry the bodies away so they can't be found, taking time out along the way to dig up a casket and haul away the contents. Yes, exactly. In her film debut, Melissa Sue Anderson clumsily carries the suspense of whether she is or isn't the killer with director J. Lee Thomas helping her with clouds of confusion that just get dumber and dumber until the fitful finale. The brain there was one point where they showed the brain swelling. I the medical stuff was pretty bad. It almost looked like a Star Trek set or something. Yeah, I didn't think the effects were that bad. I mean, you could tell it wasn't her brain because this the it just didn't look right. But I give her an A for effort. The only time I went, eh, eh, you know, like got squeamish, the brain. was when they started drilling into her skull. <laughs> yeah, that is weird that they can do that, you know. <laughs> All right, Karen. Next movie. Well, I was surprised too that there was no nudity in this. With this many college kids. Yeah. I didn't think when Melissa Sue Anderson started undressing, I didn't think we'd see her. 
but I thought we might see Anne or someone. It just that's part Maggie of the whole or Amelia or someone, right? The genre is very, you know, stabbings and boobs. Like but there's like, always this, sex in them. There's no sex in this. But the only film out when they before they started filming this was Halloween. And there was boobs in that too, but it didn't I don't think it was a thing yet. No, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. I guess it's sometimes hard to look back and generalize. Yeah. Because we've seen so many at this point. All right. So next film is yours. What it do is? you got? Is it mine? Yes. Our next film, Karen, is from 1974. A hammer production. Well, we'll probably see boobs then. I hope so. Called Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. And why did you choose that film? I'm glad you asked, Karen. It was released on April 7th, and our next episode comes out April 5th. Okay. Anybody in? Is there Sir Christopher Lee or anyone like that in it? Nope. Do you have a drink to go along with that? I do, Karen. What would that be? It is called Sweet Caroline Tiki Drink. Okay. We're going to need Midori, Amaretto, Sour Mix, and Orange Juice. Midori, Amaretto, Sour Mix. And orange juice. Okay. Would you like to know why I picked that drink, Karen? (laughs) I was just waiting. Are you going to tell us now or are you going to tell us next week? One of the stars of Captain Kronos' Vampire Hunter is Carolyn Monroe. Carolyn Monroe? Carolyn. Caroline. Carolyn. Same diff. Carolyn Monroe. Is she trying to be like Marilyn Monroe? (laughs) I don't know. It's her Carolyn. name, Karen. All right. Sometimes people change their names, though. So I picked this drink in honor of her. Okay. Sweet Carolyn. Caroline. Carolyn. Spelled the same. Well, that's probably Sweet Caroline. Like this song. Probably. But yeah. spelled the same. So I'm going with it for Carolyn Monroe. Or maybe she goes by Caroline Monroe. Hell, I don't know. I've never heard her name spoken by anyone. Okay. But she is, one of, she is one of my favorite Hammer Girls characters. Nice. So she been in a lot of them? No. She was late to the Hammer thing. She only did two, I think. But she was in a couple. Uh, she was in James Bond flick. She's been in a few things. I can look her up in my my Hammer. What's the, what's the book, Karen, you got me for Christmas? Hammer Glamour. Hammer Glamour. I'm sure there's a chapter on her i'll look her up maybe i'll have lots of good facts about carolyn monroe or caroline monroe there you go can't wait all right karen anyone you need to thank this week i'd like to thank our listener there's a lot of podcasts out there thank you for spending time with us what about you greg who would you like to thank karen i need to thank the great people of the state of california excellent and also the band Verse 13 for providing all of the music in the Scary Spirits podcast. The music definitely makes the podcast better. And also I want to say to our friends and listeners, if you've seen this movie and you disagree with us or agree with us, you know, post it in comments wherever you found this or on Facebook and our Facebook page or Instagram on our Instagram posts or Twitter, anywhere. TikTok, YouTube. Yeah, whatever. Let us Tell know. us what you thought. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Anything else, Karen? 
Please drink responsibly. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Want to keep in touch? Check out our website, scaryspirits.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scary Spirits Podcast. Find us on YouTube at Scary Spirits Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at info at scaryspirits.com. To help us grow the podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, we really do appreciate your support. And as always, please drink responsibly. <laughs>